0: My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God. So glad you're joining me. As we continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And today we're going to continue our journey through the chapter, uh, 23rd chapter. We're going to be picking up at verse 13. And uh, we are going to be continuing here. I've just lost my place here a little bit. Through to verse 36 today. So that's what we're going to be doing. So let's pick up. Here's Jesus. Remember, he stopped talking to the religious leaders. He's now only talking to the multitudes Uh, He's just reminded the multitudes that it's those who seek to be greatest need to be the least and uh, that it's all about servanthood. So this is where he now starts talking about the religious leaders to the multitudes. Now, this is very important because he's going to talk about the woes, woe to the religious leaders. He stopped talking to the religious leaders. He's talking to the multitudes, but there's still religious leaders there. So now he's talking about them in front of them to the multitudes. Uh, R.T. France says this, these woes stand in contrast in the verses we're about to read. These woes stand in contrast to the eight beatitudes of Matthew 5, 3 to 11. Jesus speaks harshly here. Yet this was not the language of personal irritation, but of divine warning and condemnation. Such a series of woes are familiar from the Old Testament prophets in Isaiah 5 and Habakkuk chapter 2, where the tone is of condemnation, and that is the emphasis here too. Uh, God convicts so that he doesn't have to condemn that's his heart that's who he is and this is what god wants to do through the power of the holy spirit and this is what jesus is going to talk to the uh, the multitudes about here so he says in verse 13 but woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Now, the word hypocrite refers to somebody who's an actor, somebody who's playing the part. And Jesus exposes the corruption that uh, was covered by the spiritual image uh, that the scribes and the Pharisees had. It says, you shut up he- the kingdom of heaven against men. These religious leaders, what they did was they would keep people from the kingdom of heaven by making human traditions and human religious rules more important than God's word. And it was clearly seen in the way that they opposed and they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. If they'd opened the kingdom of heaven to men, they would have welcomed and received Jesus as the Messiah and as the Son of God. So he says, you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. It's bad for someone not to enter into heaven themselves. Okay, that's bad. But it's far worse to prevent somebody or stop somebody else from entering in. And that's what Matthew 18, verse 6 was all about. Okay, verse 14. Woe to you. So this is now the second woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense, long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. What they did is they would use clever and deceptive and dishonest dealings to steal widows' houses from them when they became widows. And they were careful to cover it up in the names of you know good business or even stewardship, and which was a horrible practice. So these widows, all they had left was their homes, and they would basically deceive them out of the title of their own homes. And Jesus said, "I know what you're doing. I know the wickedness. I understand you devour them." He chose that word on purpose. And then he says, "For a pretense, you make long prayers. Uh, they're, They're just long, false prayers. They were used to build a spiritual image. They had nothing to do with what they what they thought that or what they were trying to make out they were doing." Now, why did they do them? Because they wanted big donations. Uh, Matthew 6, don't be like the hypocrites with long prayers. And here they are, here's Jesus talking about them again. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. This is a very interesting phrase used by Jesus here. Because the greatness of their sin demanded a greater condemnation that others will endure. Now, when you think about this, you can say, listen, whoever goes to hell, nobody's nobody's going to enjoy it. But I think we can see that some are going to have it even worse than others, even though everybody's going to hate it. Uh, That's what Jesus is talking about, here: greater condemnation. Spurgeon, these words prove that there are degrees of punishment, as there are gradations in glory. All the ungodly will be judged and condemned by the righteous judge, but the greater condemnation will be reserved for the hypocrites, the actors, is what. Uh, Spurgeon said here okay let's move on to verse 15 next woe woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte and when he is one you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves their zeal in their evangelism didn't prove that they were right with God these religious leaders went to great lengths to win others, but they brought people, brought people to darkness. They didn't bring them to light. Paul has the same idea when he's talking about this in Romans 10, verse 2, where he observes that some of the Jewish people of his day, they had a zeal for God, but it was not according to knowledge. Now, the word proselyte, Barclay says this. The word proselyte is an English transliteration of a Greek word proselutos. Which means one who has approached or drawn near. The proselyte was the full convert who had accepted the ceremonial law and circumcision and who had become in the fullest sense a Jew. So then Jesus says, and when this person's won, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Because even though their, their incredibly impressive energy could win some, it was to no lasting good to those who were one. Poole says this, their business was not to turn men from sin unto God, but merely to convert them to an opinion. And in this respect, these religious leaders were similar to many religious people today. They're courageous, they're energetic messengers, they send out missionaries, but with a false message. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Woe. Okay. Now let's move on to the next the next woe in verse 16 here. Uh, woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Out of obedience to God's word, they refused to swear by the name of God because that was commanded in Exodus chapter 20 verse 7. But they constructed this elaborate system of oaths, some of which were binding, some of which were not. And it was a way of making a promise while keeping fingers crossed behind your back kind of thing. Barclay, to the Jew an oath was absolutely binding, so long as it was a binding oath. Broadly speaking, a binding oath was an oath which definitely and without equivocation employed the name of God. Such an oath much must, must be kept, no matter what the cost. Any other oath might be legitimately broken. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Here Jesus emphasizes that the altar itself is greater than the sacrifice that's made upon it. And the altar is the established meeting place between God and man. And our altar is Jesus himself and his work on the cross. And having been never separated from God the Father by sin, Jesus himself was separated and he needed no altar. He, he had a free and an incredible relationship with the father and it was the freedom of Adam before the fall. Or even more so, because Jesus had a history of relationship with his father that Adam did not know. Adam didn't have the same history that Jesus had with the father. Uh, Guzik says this, It's a good idea to think of the greatness of the Old Testament altar. The purpose of the altar is significant. It sanctified what was put upon it, and it sustained and bore up the sacrifice until it was consumed. The location of the altar is significant. It shows that we come to Jesus and his atoning work first. The shape of the altar is significant. It's square, perfectly proportioned, stable, unshakable. The horns of the altar are significant. They show the power of God inherent in Jesus. The position of the altar is significant. It's not raised, but is low enough for all to approach. It has no steps that would reveal human flesh. And the appearance of the altar is significant. It is smeared with the blood of sacrifice. And the material of the altar is significant. It is brass, forged in the fire and able to endure the judgment of the flames." Okay, let's move on to verse 23. Woe to you, next woe, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> Yes, we're going to get to that. <laughs> um, Malachi chapter 3, the Bible tells us to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And the the scribes and the Pharisees, they did that, okay? Their tithing was meticulous. It was noteworthy. But it was hypocritical because it served to soothe the guilt of their neglect of the weightier matters of the law. They're like, well, we're doing that, so, you know, means we don't have to do the other things. It's possible and it's common to be distracted with relatively trivial matters while a lost world actually perishes. Carson, the weightier matters do not refer to the more difficult or the harder, but to the more central, the more decisive matters. And Jesus gives a bit of a cursory description of these weightier matters of the law with these words, justice, mercy, faith. France, this phrase recalls the summary of true religion in contrast to the extravagant sacrifice in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. So then he says, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Jesus here is, is illustrating their folly with the humorous picture of a man who's so committed to a kosher diet that he would not swallow a gnat because it was not bled properly in accordance with kosher regulations, but the same man would swallow a whole camel instead. Barclay, this is a humorous picture which must have raised a laugh of a man carefully straining his wine through gauze to avoid swallowing a microscopic insect and yet cheerfully swallowing a camel. It is the picture of a man who has completely lost his sense of proportion. This is what Jesus was saying when he said, woe to you. Verse 25. Woe to you. The next one, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish that the outside of them may be clean also. They were satisfied with what looked good on the outside, a superficial cleansing, the appearance of righteousness, but inside they were full of extortion and self-indulgence. They were greatly concerned with their outward appearance, but they were unconcerned with all the sin and the corruption that was inside them. So he says, first of all, clean the sin from the inside, that the outside might be also clean. Uh, Jesus didn't call them to choose between the outer righteousness and the inner righteousness. He called them to be concerned with both, but to first address the inside, and then true outward righteousness starts on the inside. This is his point. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's the custom, and it was the custom of the Jews of that time, to whitewash the tombs in Jerusalem before the Passover so that no one would touch one accidentally, um, which would make yourself ceremonially unclean. And Jesus said, "These religious leaders are like the whitewashed tombs they're pretty on the outside but dead on the inside. Uh, the apostle Paul called the high priest a whitewashed wall in acts chapter twenty three verse three he says you jesus says you you also outwardly appear righteous to men you, you, men other people might see them as righteous, but God did not. God's never fooled by what we show on the outside. He sees what we actually are not what we appear to be to other people." He knows. Can't fool him. That's the whole point. You can be an actor. You can be a hypocrite. I know what's on the inside. Verse 29. Woe to you, the next one, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes, some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on all the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, All these things will come upon this generation. They professed to venerate dead prophets, but they rejected the living prophets. And in doing so, they showed that they really were the children of those who murdered the prophets in the days of old. You are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. And we express the same thought when we think, well, I wouldn't have denied Jesus like, you know, like Peter did. I wouldn't have done that. So he says, fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Jesus prophesied about these leaders and how they would complete the rejection of the prophets their fathers began by persecuting his disciples, whom he would send to them. Spurgeon, this is one of the most terrible sentences that ever fell from Christ's lips. It is like his message to Judas, that thou doest, do quickly. This crowning sin would fill up the measure of their father's guilt and bring down upon them the righteous judgment of God. They said, we wouldn't do that. If we, you know, we were alive like our fathers, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. And Jesus says, you're about to kill me. Serpents, brood of vipers. This phrase it talks about the family of the devil. These religious leaders took an unmerited pride in their heritage, thinking they were spiritual sons of Abraham, but instead they were more like spiritual sons of the devil, not Abraham. And Jesus spoke so strongly about these religious leaders for a couple of reasons. Firstly, he didn't want others to be deceived by them. And secondly, he loved them. These people, these were people who were the farthest from God and they needed to be warned of the coming judgment. And what Jesus really wanted was their repentance, not their judgment. From the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. Jesus here speaks of all the righteous martyrs in the Old Testament. Abel was very clearly the first. And and in the way that the Hebrew Bible was arranged, Zechariah was actually the last. Because Second Chronicles is the last book of the Hebrew Bible. And Zechariah's story is found right at the end of the book of Second Chronicles. He talks about Abel's blood crying out in Genesis chapter 4 verse 10 and Zechariah who asked that his blood be remembered in Second Chronicles chapter 24. Guzik said this, There is a problem with the description of Zechariah as the son of Berechiah because Second Chronicles text describes him as the son of Jehoiada in Second Chronicles 24 verse 20. Adam Clark summarizes the best resolutions to this problem. First, that the double names were frequent among the Jews in 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1, 1 Chronicles 8 33, Matthew 9 9, Mark 2 14, and in other examples as well. Secondly, that the names Jehoiada and Berechiah have the same meaning, which means the praise and the blessing of Jehovah. So what does that lead us to from an observation today? Our woes are often our own fault. I don't want to add any woes to the ones the devil's already throwing at me. I've got enough woes already rather than creating my own. My second observation is I try to imagine the spiritual agony that Jesus felt when he said these words because it's like telling your kids the reality of what they have done wrong because you love them. And you know it's your job to tell them the consequences. But you don't want to be mean. It's all because you love who they are. Jesus loved these people enough to tell them the truth. And that's what we're called to do. Will we love people enough to tell them the truth? Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that we would have a love and a passion and a desire for it, to proclaim it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.